Jesus said, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those incredible promises that Jesus gave us. That we can ask anything in his name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and you will do it. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would see something of the glory and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ this evening, and that, Lord, in your name, we wish this prayer to be recorded in the annals of heaven, that for Jesus' sake you would teach us to pray. Amen. Amen. It's an incredible promise that Jesus makes that you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Which means, according to the Lord Jesus, praying in his name is literally pushing on an open door in heaven. But as I reflected on that in, in preparation for this message this evening, is that the certainty with which I pray? Is that the confidence, the boldness that is reflected in your prayer life? If you were asked to assess the prayer life of the church when we gather together for prayer, <clears throat> would you say that our corporate times of prayer are marked by that degree of certainty, that degree of confidence, that degree of boldness reflected in our prayer life as a church. If you have your Bibles, please turn back to that passage that Kevin read to us. We're going to be thinking this evening about the prayer of faith, as some have called this section, <clears throat> which actually runs from 63.7 to the end of 64.12, and uh, I'll comment on that in a moment. As way of introduction, I just want to highlight a verse that comes in chapter 62, verses 6 through 7. Now, just let me refresh your memory. In chapter 61, we have a sermon that was given to Isaiah by the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself preached. Isaiah 61 one begins, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives and release from darkness from the, for the prisoners. And Jesus quoted that, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, Jesus quoted that in Luke chapter 4 at the beginning of his public ministry. So this is a sermon that Jesus preached, and, the, and it runs from 61.1 down to the end of 63.6. Now, in the middle of that, this is what the Lord says in chapter 62, verse 6. I have posted watchmen 
on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. As I say, that is the Lord's servant making that statement regarding the praying people of the Lord in the year of the Lord's favour. We are living in the year of the Lord's favour. We are living in the period of time where he calls it the year of the Lord's favour. It is the time between Jesus' resurrection and his return. This is the year of the Lord's favour in which we are living. The, The year that precedes the day of vengeance of our God when we were reminded last Sunday evening that he will come in victory and vengeance at the end of the age. But in this period of time, in this year of the Lord's favour, is the time for the praying people of God, his watchmen, that he has set on the walls, to give ourselves no rest and to give him no rest until he does for us all that he has promised for his church on earth, for his glory. Therefore, the purpose of this passage is to show us and to teach us how to pray. From 63.7 through to 64.12 is a masterclass in prayer that Isaiah himself leads us in. One of the Bible commentators that another commentator quoted uh, said this, Derek Kidner, who was quoted by Alec Matias, said this, The glories of chapters 60 to 62 and the vision of the Lord coming in victory and vengeance in 63, 1 through 6 stir Isaiah to one of the most eloquent prayers of intercession found anywhere in the Bible as he surveys the past amazing grace of God and the present desperate straits of his people. I think he's absolutely right. So the Lord has given us this passage in order to teach us how to pray. And the key point of this is to grasp what is called intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is a kind of prayer. And intercessory prayer means that we intercede. We stand before God and make requests known to him. And the heart, this passage shows us that the heart of intercessory prayer is to passionately and persistently remind the Lord of his covenant promises to bless his people for his glory. Did you notice how many times in this passage Isaiah reminds the Lord that he is our Father and our Redeemer? In other words, to give the Lord no rest and to give ourselves no rest, which is what Jesus commands us to do in 62, 6 and 7, is to be relentlessly reminding the Lord of his responsibilities to us as our Father and as our Redeemer and all of the promised responsibilities that he has covenanted to keep to bless us, 
despite our sins and our rebellion, for his glory. That's intercessory prayer in a nutshell. And here, as I say, in Isaiah 63, 7 through to 64, 12, we have a masterclass in intercessory prayer. Just so if you have your Bibles, please stay with me and scan verses from 63, 7 to 14, because we have here the ground or the foundation or the rock that the Lord has placed under our feet as we pray. When Jesus taught us to pray, it was always with the focus of our hearts being on his name. Hallowed be your name. It was on the focus of his kingdom coming. It was on the focus of his will being done and therefore tying our daily needs of bread, of provision, pardon and power to his glory. And we see that happening here. How many of you have heard of a a, a chap called George Mueller. George Mueller was a man of faith. He lived by faith. At any given time in his ministry, when he'd started what was known as the Mueller Orphanages, he had over 2,000 orphans to feed and clothe and shelter and nurture and love. It was George Mueller's daily habit to get up early, to open his Bible, and to spend unhurried time reading his Bible and turning what he read into praise and adoration before ever seeking the Lord to feed the 2,000 children and staff that he had his responsibility for. If you had 2,000 orphans that God had given you as your charge you would have many sleepless nights, wouldn't you? But this man, before he ever considered the personal needs of himself or his children that he was responsible for, would spend unhurried time praising God. There's an occasion told that they sat down for breakfast with not a f- no food in the, in the orphanage at all. And he led them in a prayer of thanksgiving for the food they were about to receive. Then there was a knock on the door. And the local baker had felt moved and stirred to bring all the bread that he had to feed the kids. We see here, as I say, in 63, 7 through 14, the foundation of praise that Isaiah lays down as the ground upon which he knelt before the Lord to pray. Let me summarize it for you. If you could move the slide on for me, thank you. Oh, Father, I praise you for your unfailing love to your people in the past. So 7 through 14... Is a is a, a a song of praise for God's unfailing love that was demonstrated to His people in the past, despite their rebellion. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which He is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. 
Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to, remember this, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. And then he tells us about how the Lord responded. Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. Verse 10, yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Verse 11, then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out through the sea with his shepherd to shepherd his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them? Why did he do this? Why did he do all of this? Verse 12, to gain for himself everlasting renown. Then he reminds the Lord at the end of that time of praise, this is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. And upon that bedrock, Isaiah now begins to intercede to give the Lord no rest until he does what he promised to do for his people. And there are three aspects to this prayer of intercession that I want to walk through the text through this evening. I won't be doing a verse by verse. I just want you to give you the, the, the highlights, if you like, of his prayer of intercession so that we catch something of the spirit that possessed Isaiah to talk to the Lord in the way he did. I've never heard prayer like this. In all of the times I've been a Christian and come to prayer meetings in this church, I have never heard prayer like this. But this is a Bible prayer that the Spirit of God inspired to be prayed. Lord, teach us to pray. Three things. O Father, look down from heaven and see... O Father, come down from heaven and save. O Father, look upon us, we pray. O Father, can you move that on for me, please? O Father, look down from heaven and see. This is verses 15 through to 19. Look down from heaven and see your lofty throne, holy and glorious, Where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. What he's saying is, you are our father and we are your people, but it does not seem like that. He asks the Lord a question. He he invites the Lord to look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious, You find them using the same phrase at the end of the prayer. Where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness, compassion are withheld from us. How did he begin his prayer? I'll tell you how he began his prayer. 63.7 I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion, And many kindnesses. Lord, you gave and demonstrated in the past your compassion and many kindnesses. They were given then, but they are withheld now. Look at how he picks that up, verse 16. But you are our father. 
though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us. You, Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old. Notice the question that follows. Why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you? By the way, he is not blaming God for his own sin. He's asking God a question. And in 61.9, this is something he's quoting. He's making reference in his prayer back to something that the Spirit of God is going to say through the, the anointed servant of the Lord. This is what the anointed servant of the Lord says in 61.9. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Lord, you have promised that. You said that. But now that's withheld by you. Why? So, please return for, your, for our sake. Because you promised you would, and we are yours from of old. Return, look at the end of verse 17. Return for the sake of your servants... The tribes that are your inheritance. And again, he's quoting what the servant says in 62.1. The servant says in 62.1, For Zion's sake, this is the servant speaking, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. Therefore, says Isaiah, you must return for Zion's sake because you promised. Verse 19, we are yours from of old. Do you pray like this? Do you pray with that degree of courage? Do you argue with the Lord on the basis of his promises that he's made in his word? Do you remind the Lord that he is your father and as your redeemer, he should return to make good his promises for the sake of his church? Oh, Father, look down from heaven and see. Lord, teach us to pray. Next slide. Oh, Father, come down from heaven and save. Verse 64, 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Rend the heavens, Father, and come down for the sake of your name. 62.2, as when fire sets twigs, 64.2, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. I think he's referring to what the Lord said to Pharaoh in Exodus 9.16. This is what the Lord says to Pharaoh. I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So, Father, for the sake of your name, among the nations, 
rend the heavens and come down and save us. Rend the heavens, Father, and come down as you have done before for your people. Father, I'm, I'm, we're, I'm asking you to do for us today what you have already done in the past. For the sake of your name and for your people, verse 3, for when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right and remember your ways. Father, I'm remembering your ways, come down. And he's quoting, I think, or making reference to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, 7 through 8, the Lord speaking to Moses says this. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. So, Father, rend the heavens and come down for your own name's sake. Rend the heavens and come down as you have done before. Rend the heavens and come down because despite our sins that we lament and confess before you now, yet you are our Father, so come down. End of verse 5. But when we continue to sin against them, your ways... You are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. One of the things that marks at seasons when God answers prayer like this and comes down, as he has done in times of revival, is that there is a fresh conviction of sin experienced by God's people. Before we start praising him for all he is doing there is a season of weeping and mourning and confession and lamenting there's a there's the twin aspect here of in Isaiah's intercessory prayer of longing for God to rend the heavens and come down and lamenting our own sins and reminding God that he is indeed our father There's a lovely promise that the Lord makes in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, teach us to pray. Oh, Father, look upon us, we pray. Next slide, please. Look upon us, we pray, for we are your people. Verse 9, do not be angry beyond measure. Lord, do not remember our sins forever. Oh, 
Look upon us, we pray, for we are your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Is Jerusalem a desolation? Our holy and glorious temple. He picks up a phrase at the end in verse 11 that he had already mentioned in 63:15 look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne holy and glorious when the lord gave moses the plans for building the tabernacle he emphasized a number of times see to it that you make it exactly like the pattern that had been shown you on the mountain. There's something going on here that the Lord is teaching us what the church should be, what the church should look like, what the church on earth should reflect. Moses was given a vision of how holy and glorious, or how holy and beautiful, glorious and beautiful are interchangeable words in the Hebrew, how holy and beautiful God's throne is. And Isaiah picks that up and uses that in his praise, but he also uses it in his prayer because he has grasped that the church on earth, the gathered people of God across the nations that are the apple of Jesus' eye should reflect the holiness and the beauty of God Almighty. That's what the church is called to be. We are called to be the praise of the nations, the praise of the earth. Give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Is that how today the church on earth is viewed? No. Is that how we as Philippic Baptist Church are viewed by the, by the wider community? No. Is that how God wants us to be, view, be viewed by the nations? Yes. So he's saying, you are holy and beautiful, and you want the church to reflect your holiness and beauty on earth. So look upon us, Father, we pray. Look upon us. We are meant to reflect and display your name. Your church on earth is meant to be a reflection of your holiness and beauty in heaven. But look, we're a wasteland. Your name is involved in this. So after all this, notice how he closes the prayer. I've never heard a prayer close like this in any prayer meeting that I've ever been to. After all this, Lord... Will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Oh, Father, we praise you for your unfailing love in the past. Therefore, Father, please look down from heaven and see. Father, please come down from heaven 
and save. Father, please look upon us, we pray. Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's do that now. Let's pray. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love the church. Thank you for making us part of the church that you purchased with your own blood. Help us to learn how to pray. Help us to learn how to take the promises that you've made, the things that you've done in the past, and to plead with you for your great name's sake that you would rend the heavens and come down and save and heal and restore for the honor and glory of your great and holy name. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. Let's conclude our time together by...